Welcome to another episode of the Mahoney Advanced Training Podcast. Once again, we're going to give you six tips and tricks to make you more efficient and effective in the weight room, the boardroom, and on a football field. And we're going to give a recap of this week's awesome, awesome challenge. Okay, tip number one. It's an exercise tip. This is going to help you with your bench press. Now, most people, they struggle with bench press because they're like a wet noodle when they pick up that barbell out of the rack and then while they're benching. They're like only focusing on uh, how do I move this barbell up and down, but they're not focusing on the rest of their body. Maybe they're focusing on their arms, but their glutes aren't engaged, their stomach is all loose, uh, the back isn't retracted. Well, this is the one trick that can help eliminate all those other problems that you have. Take a band, uh, a light band, wrap it around your wrists, and then do just the barbell bench press or the dumbbell bench press movement. Heck, if you want to, do without anything in your hands. Just do the bench press movement while you're laying down on a bench. So what this does is, as you have the band wrapped around your wrist, the band is trying to push your wrist together. Now, to stop that, you essentially have to try and pull your wrists apart. Right? And as you're trying to pull your wrists apart to overcome the band, trying to push them together, right? for every equal action, there's an, for every action there's an equal and opposite reaction. Now you are, without even knowing it, forced to engage your core, squeeze your glutes, maybe you even screw your feet into the ground to stabilize your body so you don't flip off the bench, and your shoulders start to retract together to keep that band in place. This is a, this, it's a great little trick. Use it if you're gonna do it. Use it with a barbell with hardly any weight on it, or very light dumbbells. But give it a shot. Let me know what you think. Okay, tip number two. Something I am experimenting with. I am currently using a curling bar to perform hang cleans. So the curling bar. Uh, I don't know what the actual technical name of it is, but you know it. Every meathead in every gym uses it when they're doing bicep curls. It's the bar with all the ridges uh, that go up and down. It's got it's got a wavy barbell. Now the reason I'm using using it is twofold. One. I'm getting bored of using my sandbag in the gym. And two, I don't have dumbbells. And when I say gym, I mean my home gym. I don't have dumbbells in my home gym. So I had been hang cleaning with a sandbag. And I didn't want to use my my legitimate straight bar, my regular barbell, because it just gets a lot very – it's annoying to move around in the, my garage. And it's a little taxing on the shoulders and the wrists. But what I'm feeling with this curling bar is not only is it easier to manipulate and move around my garage, but – the curved handle is also making it a lot easier on my shoulders and my wrists on the catch phase of the hang clean. So I'm experimenting with it. Give it a shot on your own. Again, let me know what you think about that. Yes, there are limitations to how much weight you can put on this thing, but in my world, my hang cleans are not for max effort. They're really more for a dynamic effort, effort type work. So it's lightweight as fast as possible two to three reps. Okay, tip number three. It is a quote that I am thinking about. I guess I can also uh, link it to a productivity tip, but the quote was, is that meetings are a tax that you have to pay to continue doing the work that you want to do. I'll say it again. Meetings are a tax that you have to pay to continue to do the work that you want to do. So what does this mean? It means that you go to work, you like what you're doing, you enjoy doing that, but as part of this process, you got to pay the tax of going to meetings so you don't get fired. Now, I'm going to segue into another quote from Peter Drucker. I'm looking at the book right now on my bookshelf. It's called The Effective Effective Executive. And what he says, he's a brilliant guy, by the way, what he says is that you are either meeting or working, but you're never doing both at the same time. I'll say that one again. You're either meeting or working, but you're never doing both at the same time. So what he's saying is, is that meetings are not work. You think they're work but they're not work. And meetings are really just in place to compensate for either the overcomplexity of what you're doing or the bad connect, uh, communication that your organization has, right? Because that's all it really is. If you think about your meetings, uh, they're not really work. 
And I'm not talking about a, uh, a troubleshooting meeting or a problem-solving meeting or maybe a bunch of mechanics go to a piece of equipment and talk about it. Look, I'm talking about like things, like your, your typical meeting where you're either rattling off statistics, giving status updates, things that, again, are compensating for over-complex systems or uh, bad communication within your organization. So the thought back to that original quote is that meetings being a tax well, what are you going to do to lower that tax? That's really the, cha- the, the challenge I have to you. Can you eliminate the meeting? Can you reduce the frequency of the meeting? Can you uh, make the meeting a little shorter? Can you make the meeting much more fun or much more productive? That's what I would like for you to think about on your own and take it into your daily work. And just again with that thought in your mind, this meeting's a tax. What am I going to do to either eliminate, reduce, or make this uh, a better tax? Maybe the taxes can go to a better spot. Okay, tip number four. Tip number four is something that I'm listening to that's moved me. I'm listening to a podcast called Real Dictators. As I've mentioned in previous podcasts, I am a a little bit of a student of history, not a major one, but I do believe that history repeats itself. So I do like to see, uh, I like to think about these things and and battles and empires and and people and leaders to figure out what made them tick and, and how they got into the position that they were in and how did they treat their people and why did they fail. And one of the people that they're talking about now is Genghis Khan. And there's two, there's two things that really caught me when listening to the story of Genghis Khan. One was he lost a battle against his cousin and then he disappears for 10 years. And then he comes back and then he's better than ever. They don't know where he went or what he did. It kind of reminded me of uh, Batman. He goes away, I don't know how many years, differs by the author who's writing the comic book, but he goes away, he learns chemistry, learns how to be an acrobat, learns how to be a detective, learns how to do all this stuff, then he comes back, and then he becomes the Batman. So this is a great story of resilience and perseverance, right? You lose, you go back, you get better, now you come back better than ever. That was one thing about Genghis Khan. Number two was, and I don't know if he was the first person that ever did this, but when his generals would lose a war, he didn't punish them or have them killed. He did after actions with them. They'd sit down and say, okay, what happened? Why didn't this work? Why did this work? Now, for most people listening to this podcast, you are football players. Does this sound familiar? You have your battle on, thir- on Friday night or Saturday, and what do you do after that? You watch film. What did work? What didn't work? So this is something that moved me when the hearing about Genghis Khan. All right. The second thing. Oh, I'm sorry. That's it. <laughs> the next tip is another thing that I'm watching that moved me. So yeah, I'm, I'm doing two of the same thing, but I don't care. I'm watching the show called Dr. Death. And it's I think it's based on a true story. And it's, it's a terrible show because it's about this neurosurgeon who operates on people and... M- most of the time, makes them walk out way worse than when they walked in. So meaning, ah, I walk in, I have this annoying pain in my neck, uh, I walk out, I am paralyzed. Or, I walk in, I have this annoying pain in my neck, uh, now I walk out, I don't have vocal cords. I walk in, I have this annoying pain in my back, uh, I die during surgery, right? So, it's a terrible story. And during the story, I'm not done with it yet, but you're trying to figure out what's happening. Like, is this guy a, a, a bad guy? Like, is he going in? and he's like some sort of evil scientist, and he's intentionally trying to hurt people? Or is he just a terrible surgeon and doesn't know what he's doing, and he thinks he's doing the right thing, and he's making everybody worse off? Now, I am leaning toward, and this is going to get to the point I'm trying to make here, that he is a terrible surgeon, but he thinks he's awesome. So he's a terrible surgeon, but he thinks he's awesome. And every problem he has, he just blames on some other circumstance. And it's reminding me of this other thing called Mount Stupid, so what's Mount Stupid? So Mount Stupid is also more popularly known as the Dunning-Kruger effect. 
And what's that? Now this is kind of this is really important. So don't get hung up on the show, but get imp- get, ha- get hang yourself up on this Dunning Kruger effect or Mount Stupid effect. It means that you have no experience or no knowledge, and you luckily get a lot of success. And you think that the success success you got is because of how smart you are, when in reality it was probably just luck, right? And now you think that everything you're going to do from that point on should stick to that way. And now failure after failure after failure that occurs after that. Uh, it's not your fault. It's not my fault. It's somebody else's fault. Everything I did gave me this success already. And now you ref- you don't, you're like you're on top of Mount Stupid because when you're on the top of that mountain in the beginning, you don't even know that you had a problem. Or, or you don't even know that you won because you got lucky. And now that you have a problem, you're too ignorant or arrogant to even know that you're the cause of these problems. And I, I really think about this in life a lot where you might have a, a football coach who becomes a head coach, wins a lot of games, thinks he's awesome, but has no recognition of the fact that maybe the stars just align the right way. Uh, a guy comes into a, a new job at work, thinks he's awesome, or she's awesome, whoever it is, have a lot of success, but not realize that the stars just aligned the right way at the right time and made that person have success in that moment. And then they, they're so clouded by their own arrogance and ignorance that they never realize that they got there by luck. And then as they proceed to have failures over and over again past that point, they never think it's them, and they never do anything to improve them. So if we go back to this doctor, and if I'm right, I haven't finished the show yet, is, is he performing operations thinking he is a genius when now he's just tearing people apart over and over and over again? And these people are scary, not just this doctor, but coaches or people in power because of the lives they're impacting around them. And now when you get to the top of Mount Stupid, what happens is you get followers, right? You have success, uh, I believe... That's probably a bad term, but sometimes they call them useful idiots, right? Useful idiots will now jump on the bandwagon of this person, and they're going to support this person because they had success, because they too didn't realize it was, uh, you know, just a, a perfect scenario at the right time, a great coincidence, and they got lucky. And now when they start to fail, when the leader starts to fail, they blame everybody else around the leader as well. Those people are dangerous. Now, I, I, the people that I know, the people I respect the most are the really smart people who constantly figure out, how can I be wrong? Even when they're winning, how could I be wrong here? They talk to other smart people. I think this is right. You tell me, how, that, how can I be wrong? And, and one person that's coming to my mind specifically is, uh, this has nothing to do with Dr. Death, but Dr. Mike Fina, he is a guy that I coached with. Uh, he's a guy that I still lean on for physical therapy or thoughts on how do I heal myself. And he's just so smart, but he never has this arrogance ever. Like he always thinks he's wrong. He's super smart. He'll never give you an immediate answer if you ask a question. He goes back. He thinks about it. He does some research. This guy's one of the smartest people I know. And in the field of physical therapy, he might be the smartest person I know. And he's always, I got to go back. I got to think about it. I hesitate to give you an answer. Those are the people that that I have so much respect for. And I'm really scared of the other ones. I'm scared of the other ones who, who think they're highly intelligent. They never question if they're wrong. They don't do research to find out how they possibly could be wrong. And now they could do more damage than good by acting so quickly and causing things to get worse. And worse yet, I'll use the term again, they may have useful idiots following them. And now you've amplified this terrible impact. All right, going to tip number six, uh, the craziest thing I saw all week. This is kind of going to link back to tip number five. So, uh... I went to, I'm not going to say, I'm trying to keep this as generic as possible so nobody figures things out, but I went to a sporting event during this week, a college sporting event, and someone had, a player had hurt their ankle, and the trainer immediately went over and put ice 
on that ankle and then wrap the ankle up. And I said to my brother-in-law, I said, that kid, no matter what that injury is, he's probably not going to be playing for another two weeks. He said, why? I said, <laughs> because ice is not the answer. Also around the same time, my niece had gotten hit in the quad during football, flag football, and they also put ice on her quad, and then they wrapped it up and compressed it. And it was a very similar situation where it just the swelling came in, uh, it, it didn't disappear, and I'm going to go back to it. The strange thing to me, going back to the point of the story, is that people are still using ice when they should not be using ice. So they're still using ice when really movement and mobility should be the key. And if you really want to hear more about this, go back to our podcast on Don't Ice That Ankle. But the acronym Rest Ice Compression Elevation, it's an old school acronym. The guy who invented it retracted the statement. So if you get a like a little bit of an injury, if something is not broken, if you don't have a broken bone, if you are able to move your body part, move it. That's why they say walk it off. Yeah, walk it off. That's like one of the greatest pieces of advice ever given. Walk it off. You want to get movement. You want to have blood flow to that area. And ice, it's not always the answer. And I just, it's just amazing to me with all the information out there. Even on this great podcast that five people listen to, this information's out there. But don't ice that ankle. Look up the Iceman, Gary Rhino. He wrote a whole book on this thing. And again, the guy who invented rest, ice, compression, elevation, he retracted his statement. Uh, sorry I'm going off here. But it's just amazing to me that people are still using ice to heal injuries when, in fact, they are just prolonging them and putting people, putting their best athletes on the shelf when they don't have to be on the shelf. Okay, we are done with our six tips and tricks. We're going to get into what happened at this weekend's challenge. So... Again, lots of controversy wrapped around what was going on. Let's start with the tag team challenge. So the clue that I gave our guys this week is I showed them a presentation I was making that had some pyramids on it. If you remember uh, in the advanced training secrets of strength, we have a pyramid that gets you, if I do this, then the next thing's easier. If I do this, the next thing is easier. If I do this, the next thing is easier. So I just showed a picture of a presentation with a pyramid on it, and uh, I don't know if anybody picked it up or cared or whatever, but... The tag team challenge was we were going to make a pyramid with the prowler. We were going to go 5 yards and back, 10 yards and back, 15 yards and back, 20 yards and back, 15 yards and back, 10 yards and back, 5 yards and back. So we build up the pyramid, we break down the pyramid. All right, you're going up one side of the pyramid, you come down the other side of the pyramid. That was my plan until I got to the field, and it was, as Billy Blanco says, scorched earth. I mean, it, it, you couldn't move anything. The prowler was tough to move with no weight on it, let alone the way we put on it. So what I did for the tag team event is I removed the 20-yard leg of this competition. So now we only had to go 5 yards, 10 yards, 15 yards, then back to 10 yards, and then 5 yards. It's still extremely challenging giving the scorched earth of the turf. The, tur- <laughs> the turf. All right. For those that don't know, if the turf is dry, it's really hard to move that prowler. If the turf is wet, it's really easy to move that prowler. So we call it scorched earth. We mean the earth. It's, it's scorched. It's dry. There's no way to move this thing. Anyway, so for the tag team event, we have three teams. We say, okay, you guys don't have to do this whole thing by yourself. One guy can go five and back. Another guy can go ten and back. Another guy can go 15 and back. And you just tag. You just, one guy goes and you, 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 at a time and you fix this whole thing or you break this whole thing down by yourself. Here's the catch. Each team gets to make a choice. They can either pick one of their guys and put him on whatever leg of that event they want, or they can pick another guy from another team and put him on another leg of the event that they want. So why would we want to do this? Well, it's really, again, to add a a source of strategy to the challenge. So if I'm a team with a really strong guy, 
I want to keep him on the worst parts of this event. I want to keep him away from the 5-yard there and back because that should be the easiest part of the event. So maybe we put that guy on the 10-yard there and back or the 15-yard there and back. Or if I have a guy who's a little weaker at the prowler and maybe he didn't bring cleats, then we want to hide him and put him at the 15 marker there and back. So each team had to make this choice. And I just, I really love to see the way these guys think, if they make good choices, uh, how they strategize the right way or the wrong way. What do they think about each other? Have they witnessed enough of each other to really know who's really good or really bad at these toys? So the first team that, that makes this decision, they are the Junkyard Dogs, and they elect to have Mark Strange do the five and back pretty smart because I think Mark Strange was in sneakers, right? The last thing you want to do in sneakers is push a prowler when it's scorched earth. So they say, all right, we're going to put him five yards and back. Uh, I can't remember, oh, the next team was going to be uh, Cortese's team, Shalasi's team, uh, Weintraub's team. This is one team, by the way. They say, all right, we're going to take Rob Wallen and we're going to put him at the 10 and back because now that, that team only had two guys on it. It was Rob Wallen and Steve Armato. The rest of their team was not able to make training that day. So now these two guys, there's five segments of the event. There's a five and back, there's a ten and back, there's a fifteen and back, there's another ten and back, there's a five and back. So they take Wallen and basically say, Wallen, you have to stick to the ten and backs. You can't do the five and back, and you can't do the fifteen and back. So now Wallen, he's got to cover just the ten and backs, and then Armato, he's got to cover the five and backs, and then the one fifteen and back. Now, I think this is pretty smart because Wallen has had a lot more recent experiment, experience in these, in these challenges, training with us. He's had a lot more experience using the Prowler, so why not make Armato go to the full 15-yarder, uh, uh, which is the, mo the hardest part of this leg. Then the last team was Wallen and Armato. They had to pick somebody, and they picked to have Brian Weintraub, a.k.a. Future, do the 15-yard leg of the event. Why? Because Weintraub has sneakers. I don't know why he has sneakers. I don't know why he won't buy cleats, but come on, Weintraub, get cleats. Anyway, this is what they chose. The three teams go. The winning team is the team with Shalasi, Cortese, and Weintraub. And I'd have to say, I think the difference in all of this, so they win with 44.5 seconds, the difference in all of this is that Weintraub, for whatever reason, without cleats, still kicked the hell out of the prowler. Like I said last week, I'll say it again, don't sleep on Brian Weintraub. So they win. But as usual, there's controversy. So the Junkyard Dogs, this is now Joe Moretzko, Pete Baraji, uh, I don't know why, oh, and Mark Strange, the, Joe Moretzko thinks that they actually won. Based on absolutely nothing. He's just based, he, I don't know if his eyeball is calibrated to calculate time. He thinks they won, and that my 44.5 seconds clock for these other guys was wrong. His team got 47 and a half seconds. So he, there's no way I was off by three seconds. I can give you a half a second or a tenth of a second. Maybe I might have a slow finger, but he thinks that I was off by three seconds. Now, how he could tell that is beyond me for two reasons. One, he has no stopwatch. And two, he was going in the event. So if you're going in the event, if you're not just an observer, how could you possibly tell who went faster and who went slower? So he's already angry and he starts to, he thinks that I am intentionally making his team lose. For what reason? I'd like to say I don't know, but I'll get back to that I do know later on. Anyway, so now his team loses, and now the winning team, as usual, they get to pick two groups of two people to go head-to-head -head in a head-to-head -head challenge. And I've said this before, and I'll say it again. Planning is useless, but the act of planning is priceless. So for the head-to-head -head challenge, here was my plan. You're going to take a prowler. You're going to push it 10 yards. You're going to get off the prowler. You're going to sprint 10 yards to me. I'm going to show you three cards, three playing cards. Then you are going to turn around, sprint back to the Prowler. 
you're going to push it back to the start line, then push it back to where you dropped it off the last time, then run back to me. On the floor, I'm going to have five cards. You're going to pick up the three cards that I showed you and hand them to me. So essentially what we're trying to do is see if you can remember the cards that I gave you and remember them under duress, right? This is not a, you're exhausted, you're tired, you're tired pushing the prowler to begin with, and now you have to go back and remember the three cards as you're pushing it there and back. So you're tired as you're trying to memorize the cards I showed you, and then you're tired as you're trying to remember them as you're pushing the prowler there and back. So this was my plan, and it worked out pretty well because the first tag team, and this was brilliant, they... The guy, the team that won, Shalasi, Weintraub, Cortese, they said, we want Wallen versus Steve Armato. Now, why is this awesome? Because it's a grudge match. They went against each other last week, and Wallen beat Armato. So now they both have one loss. Loser of this match, they're out. You can't only have two, two losses. So they pick Wallen versus Armato. Wallen goes first. And as I reflect on this, the earlier you went, the harder it was, because guys were shot from the tag team challenge. So Wallen is already tired from the tag team challenge. And he does pretty well pushing the Prowler, but he does completely and totally awful remembering the cards. And I made it tough. So I had a Queen of Diamonds and a Queen of Hearts in my hand. I had a Nine of Clubs and a Nine of Spades in my hand. And then I had a Four of Spades. And the three cards that I showed was the Queen of Diamonds, the Nine of, nine of Clubs, and the Four of Spades. Now, why is this significant? Well, because when I put it down, now... When I put down the five cards, the Queen of Diamonds is right next to a Queen of Hearts. And if you were trying to remember Red Queen, uh-oh, was it the Heart of the Diamond? The Nine of Clubs is next to the Nine of Spades. So if you try to remember Black Nine, oh, was it a spade or was it a club? And then the Four of Spades was just a throwaway. So this made it really challenging. And I felt bad for a while because he was still a little tired and he messed it up like five times in a row. Finally got it right. He finishes in one minute and 15 seconds. So one minute and 15 seconds. Okay, Armado goes. He's also shot. Remember, his team only had two guys in the tag team challenge. The other teams had three. So these guys were more tired than everybody else. So Armado goes. He really struggles with the Prowler because he's tired, but he nails the, the memorization. Like, nails it, no mistakes, done. He finishes in one minute. So he beats Wallen by 15 seconds. Wallen already had a loss. Wallen is now eliminated. Armado wins the battle. Uh, he may have lost the war because he was down on the ground holding his head. He actually got the Prowler flu after that challenge. So, uh, But I'm really impressed because you could tell that this guy gave it every bit of energy that he had. And I'm just so glad that he came back to the program. Uh, he adds a This is now two weeks in a row we're talking about Armado. But it's a huge win for him because now it keeps him in the playoff hunt. He was kind of in that ranked 12, 13, 14 world, getting those three points. It puts him right in that playoff hunt because, remember, not everybody's making the playoff and right, playoffs. And right now, I think we're only going to have 12 guys in the playoffs. Okay, so now Wallen eliminated Armado, Victor. All right, who's the next two competitors? They pick Joe Marechko, yeah, the guy that's calling me out for making his team intentionally lose, versus Mark Strange. So Mark Strange, the guy has sneakers on, so he's already at a massive disadvantage, but... We've already said from last week that Mark Strange is the, the puzzle master, right? Like, the guy figured out puzzles in uh, less than one second last week. So, Joel Marechko goes first. I let him see the three cards. The act of planning is priceless. Sorry, planning is useless. The act of planning is priceless. When he comes back to pick to look at the five cards on the ground, as the advanced training gods would have it, a massive gust of wind blows and blows all the cards away all over the field. Now, under any other circumstances, I would say, all right, start it over again. But, A, I can't make, like, 
it kind of defeats the purpose of memorization when you get to go twice. And I can't make this guy do this really hard challenge over and over again because now he's going to be completely and totally shot. So I'm just like, ah! Thankfully, he gets to the line and just tells me the three cards. So he just says what they are, boom, he gets it done, goes back, and he finishes it in 41 seconds, which is sick. So think about it again. You know, Wallen did it in 1 minute and 15 seconds, Amado did it in 1 minute, and now Moresco just dominates it and finishes it in 41 seconds. Next up, Mark Strange. Remember, he's the puzzle master. He does an awesome job with the puzzle and a really good job with the prowler, despite the fact that he only has sneakers on, and he finishes in 55 seconds. So now Moresco gets the win. Uh, sorry, Marechko gets the win as the bright way to pronounce his last name. Strange gets, I believe, his first loss of the season, and now Marechko moved himself from the four seed up to the third seed. But he's still angry. He's a team player, and he's still angry about the loss for his team. And then when we get home, he goes on and on saying, Look, uh, <laughs> Coach Mahoney, we know that you did this on purpose. We actually won. You like to screw with people. You like to make them lose. So I, you purposely told us that we lost, we lost the first race even when we didn't. Now, the truth of the matter is, I do love chaos. I do love pushing people to the, the furthest limits of their mind and of their body. But I would never, ever lie about a time to make a team win that I wanted to win. Now, if I may, I may be off with my finger, but it was never off by three seconds, three full seconds. Having said that, Joe is saying this on a group text with about 30 people on it. And, for no good reason, the great and powerful James Yuski decides to add a good old exclamation point to one of Joe's texts, saying basically saying that I intentionally made a team lose and that I enjoy messing with people to screw them up. So uh, I did the unthinkable. I removed James Uski, the great and powerful James Uski, from the group chat. We'll probably put him in soon, but a message needed to be sent. I then side-texted James Uski and said, I removed you from the group chat, and he said, why? I said, well, this is like when Lord Frey allowed... Uh, who was it? Oh, Ned Stark's wife. I don't know why I can't remember her name right now. Catelyn Stark, when he allowed Catelyn Stark to cut his daughter's throat at the Red Wedding. So essentially, I was sacrificing Yusuke to send a message to everybody else. So Yusuke, you'll be back on the chat, but don't be backing up or co-signing on Marechko's insanity, especially if you were not at the challenge that day and didn't know what happened. That's just, it's not right, man. It's not right. All right, people, that is it. Uh, we are getting very close to the playoffs, so every point, every win matters. I love every second of this stuff, even if it comes at the accusations that I would make people intentionally lose for my own mental benefit, like I'm some sort of a puppet master. That is absolutely not the case. All right, enjoy the rest of your week. Bye. This episode is brought to you by Element. That's L-M-N-T. What's Element? Element is the product that came into my life at exactly the right moment. I've been training hard. I've been sweating like a maniac. But unfortunately, after my sessions, I could never kick that feeling of dehydration. It didn't matter how much water I drank. In fact, the more water I drank, the worse it got. My body was telling me, you need more. You need electrolytes. But I refused to go and buy some sugary sports drink and put that garbage into my body. Enter Element. What's Element? It's a tasty electrolyte drink mix. That's right. I said tasty. They have seven different flavors. My personal favorite is mango chili. But most importantly, it's got no sugar. It's got no gluten. It's got no garbage. There's got no guilt. Take it. You'll feel better. You won't feel like a bum after you drink it. You won't feel any guilt after taking it. To get your element today, go to drinklmnt.com backslash George Mahoney. Again, that's drinklmnt.com backslash George Mahoney. Get yours today.